Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that whatever is said in this presentation could be to your honor and glory. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would guide my mind, that I would not say things that I shouldn't, that I will say those things you want me to. So we thank you for doing this and for being with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we want to really dive into this because this is going to be more practical. And as I said, it's, you, know, you can only get so practical in an hour, but I think it will hopefully leave you with some tools to take with you. So first of all, I, I feel it's really, really important to study for yourself, to come under your own conviction on this. You know, I think the worst reason to get into agriculture, well, not the worst reason, but in my mind, one reason that I hear a lot of Adventists getting into it is because, well, the time's coming when we can't buy or sell and we need to be able to grow our own food. Now, that's true. I mean, that's a very valid point, but it's kind of a, a fear-based motive. And I don't think God ideally works on a fear-based motive. The reason I believe you need to have a garden is because that's where God created us to live and work. Um, and that is where he is most easily able to walk and talk with us. To me, that's the reason for a garden. Um, so read what the Bible has to say about it. You know, God's plan for man. Did that change when sin came into the world? I mean, it got harder, but God sent forth Adam from the garden to do what? Till the ground. He didn't say, well, you're off the hook. You don't have to be a farmer or gardener anymore. Um, Read what the spirit of prophecy has to say about agriculture. Again, I would just encourage you, um, study. And the reason why I say this at the beginning is because you're going to have lots of challenges. I can promise you that. You want to move forward by conviction and principle. You know, we... I also have, I, well, I guess I did bring it down. I don't promote this as much because it feels like self-promotion. But the Lord led us a few years ago, really led my wife. I just helped with editing and stuff. But led us to write down our testimony of God leading us into farming. Um, and it was so hard at the beginning that my wife had people tell her, I don't know how you, why you're still doing this. If I were you, I would have quit long ago. But my wife said, would you really, if you knew God had told you to do this? How can you quit when God, we know God led us to agriculture? But that's my point here. If we didn't have that conviction, we would have quit long ago because, man, it's hard. Um, and, and this is the key here. And it, it seems so obvious, but it took me years to figure this out. You know, one, of, one night I was out wrestling with the Lord saying, Lord, why is this so hard? You called us to do this, but it seems like everything we do looks like failure. What's going on here? What are you doing to us? You know, just really wrestling with the Lord. And then it was like this light bulb moment. Well, of course it's going to be hard. Because this is God's original plan for man. And who doesn't want you in the garden? The devil is going to do everything he can to keep you out of the garden. So 
there will be days when you will be out there by faith and sheer willpower because you don't want to be out there because it's discouraging. But by faith, you press forward knowing that God has lessons to teach you from it. So, to me, this is important. Without this, um, chances are you're not going to stick with it. So, now, on to the, to the really nuts and bolts here. I want to encourage you to start with the soil. That is a very big subject that I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of. It's very deep and very intricate and um, you need a, a really good chemistry mind to be able to understand it. You know, there's three main sciences to soil. You know, there's the chemistry side of it. There's the biology side. There's literally millions of, of little microbes and stuff in the soil that should be working for you. Um, and then there's the physics side of it. And that's the one that I feel like is really hardly understood. The whole energy, electricity in the soil. That almost sounds, you know, new age or something, but it's true. I mean, Mrs. White talks about it. Um, very complicated, but what I'm going to tell you right now is rather than being hung up by trying to understand it all, just go get a soil test. And if you don't know how to take a soil sample, you know, it's as simple if you don't have a probe a soil sampling probe, just take a shovel and kind of make a V in the ground about six inches deep. And then you take your shovel and slice off a piece of the side. So you're getting kind of a, a cross section from the side of that V. And you put it in a clean bucket, make sure it's not like galvanized or something that's gonna mess up the sample clean plastic bucket take depending on the size of your area take eight ten different samples from from random you know picture of it mix them together and then send them to kinsey labs with 36 dollars now we've got to somehow on this because my stuff is usually too fresh to get on a on a a flash drive you know they asked for this two weeks ago and it's like i want to make sure it's fresh <laughs> um anyway i have it on this flash drive so if you have a way to get it from here or I will also, well, they have a copy, but I've even changed some things since yesterday. So I make no apologies on that. I don't, you know, I, I don't ever preach the same thing or teach the same thing twice because I want to make sure I'm doing what the Lord wants me to. That's great. I was hoping somebody with more knowledge than I. You know, that's one thing I like to say about farming. The, one of the best things about it is you don't have to be a techie person. It's so wonderful. So what I'm suggesting now, there are many places you can send your soil samples off. But Kinsey Lab um, follows the methods of William Albrecht and William Albrecht from many Adventists who've studied his material, they feel like he was a true scientist. And um, so, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this. So anyway, I just say for now, send it to him, but on the material you'll get one way or other, um, is a sheet that you just print off 
And it will, you'll notice it says to Whitmar McConnell, and it has his address, and you'll be thinking, wait a minute, why am I sending this to Whitmar McConnell? The point is Whitmar McConnell is an Adventist agronomist who studied Albrecht and Kinsey, Neil Kinsey, who was kind of a disciple of William Albrecht. He studied the method and knows it really, really well. And because it's so complicated... I just have him interpret all my soil samples. So his name is on there. You'll send it with $36 to Kinsey Labs. They will um, do the actual soil testing, and then they will send the results to Whitmar McConnell, and he... And you'll need to communicate with him. And I guess that's what I didn't do is give his contact. No, it's on that sheet. So, yeah, you'll have his contact information. He will send you recommendations. And then you have to pay him $25 for the recommendations. So it ends up costing $61, which, you know, if, if it's a little home garden, that might sound like a lot. But... It's really not. I mean, it's worth it. My experience is anything I've ever invested in the soil, I feel like I have gotten back plus more. What kind of turnaround time do you usually get? Okay, what kind of turnaround time? Now, you can just send it to Kinsey Labs and they will send back recommendations, but that can take a long time. Um, a month or more, and usually, you know, you're wanting it the next day kind of thing. Um, Whitmar is much faster than Kinsey Labs. I would say you should definitely have it within a couple weeks. Now, boy, there's so much we could talk about, but ideally you take your samples at the same time of year. Um, Often fall is the recommended time because then you can put on amendments and have them kind of work in over the winter. But the point is you want to be consistent with the time because soil does change through the course of the year depending on things. So I, we can't go into that more for now, but that's my recommendations. And, and then he'll just tell you these are the things you need to put on in these quantities. That's pretty simple. I can say we did it at Heritage, and I was very pleased with the results. I think our fertility has been good for the first year. You know, many times, if your soil's really out of whack, it can take, you know, three years or more before you really start getting it balanced. It's not going to happen overnight. Okay, so now let's, number two, stick with proven methods that work. So this is where I'm going to talk just a little bit more about these guys. Elliot Coleman, the new organic grower, is considered a classic. I guess it's kind of a modern classic. It was, it was published in um, 1995. But this, this was... You know, this in the spirit of prophecy was how I started farming, literally. This was the book I had. Um, you know, some information is getting a little dated, but most gardening information is pretty timeless. So this is a wonderful place to start. But he also wrote, this is the only book really out there on winter growing. And since this is what I'm really recommending for schools, you need this book. Um, and basically, this book kind of goes along with this book. He says, this is everything I've learned since I wrote this on, on winter gardening. So they kind of go together, the Winter Harvest Handbook and the New Organic Grower. Again, for those who weren't here last time, he's in Maine growing in unheated hoop houses. By the way, this picture is of Heritage this fall in one of their greenhouses. Um, 
Okay, so start with Elliot. Then J.M. Fortier, Jean-Martin Fortier came along. Um, his book, The Market Gardener, was published in English. I got a French copy. Man, it was a real incentive to learn French. I'm trying to figure out what he was saying. This was... Uh, Copyrighted 2014. So this is only four years old, but this book has truly revolutionized the market gardening world. This guy's young. You know, he's, I don't know, he's probably in his late 30s now. From Quebec, he's making 150000 on an acre and a half, working or marketing six months of the year. So that was, you know... I mean, I told you some of these other guys are making more than that, but that's year-round. This is only six months of the year. And only with a, a BCS, which is kind of a two-wheel tractor, a walking tractor, they call them. And so a lot of young people got really turned on to this. Wow, this is great. All I need is an acre and a half of land, and I can make a living now, of course, you understand when I throw around numbers, that's gross. Um, net across the board with small farms is usually right around 40 to 50 percent. Once you really get established, it may go a little above 50 percent, but that's kind of, we just count on 50 percent of gross for net. Um, so J.M. Fortier, and he says it in his book, you know, I'm, I'm standing on Eliot's shoulders. I read Eliot's book. I followed his methods, but he's added some new twists and, um, some new tools. What is growing there in the greenhouse? Uh, in this picture, there's some bok choy, some Chinese cabbage, some scallions, some um, Swiss chard, and kale and collards, and actually some beets up here. There's a lot you can grow in the winter. Then along came Curtis Stone. It's kind of interesting, these two young farmers, J.M. Fortier and Curtis Stone, are both um, Canadians. Curtis is from British Columbia, Columbia, Kelowna, British Columbia. He wrote this book, The Urban Farmer, um, and he's the one that's farming people's yards, um, quarter acre, um, making $100,000. And again, I, I'm sensitive about throwing out those numbers because as I said in the last session, I don't think schools should go into it to make money. I think they should go into it because God said we need to do this. But I throw around the numbers just to try to, to get away from this idea that you can't make money farming because it's just patently untrue. You can make money farming. So again, Curtis Stone, the urban farmer, he, is, he has really capitalized on technology. And he has a blog, a video blog, whatever you call them, vlogs on YouTube. At least, I think he puts out more than one a week. I just watched his latest one. It actually was on one of my son's tools. Um, but he has hundreds I mean, it's, it's like a college degree on YouTube, on farming, Curtis Stone. Um, it's, it's amazing. And then Connor Crickmore came along. Connor's not as young as some of these other guys, but he has Never Sink Farm, and you can go on his website, and he's also actually starting to do more, more, um, YouTube stuff. But this guy is taking it to the next level. We visited him um, a year and a half ago. 
He's up in the Adirondacks of, uh, of New York. Actually, it's not the Adirondacks. It's the Catskill Mountains. Um, incredible farm, just pristine. I mean, you have to search to find a weed, and that's not an exaggeration. Unbelievable. He's got systems in place. He never leaves a bed empty for more than a day. In other words, a crop comes out in the morning and the bed is replanted by nightfall. It is just he was a, a computer systems analyst in New York. And he's only been farming for like seven years. And now he's teaching all these old timers like me, you know, because he's just got that analyst mind. And he says, this is the way, you know, you got to have a system for everything. And he's the one he's making over $350,000 on an acre and a half. Notice all these are acre and a half. That's like max. And all of them are shrinking. They're trying to do less and less because they make more money the less they do. Um, then one more I would mention, Ben Hartman, The Lean Farm. This was revolutionary as well. And I tell you, there's books coming out all the time. This is, this is like the, the market gardening world is exploding. Um, but this book is subtitled How to Ma Minimize Waste, Increase Efficiency, and Maximize Value and Profits with Less Work. That sounds interesting, right? Um, this book has really revolutionized our farm because it makes you rethink how you do everything as far as efficiency. And, you know, they might, of course, none of these are, well, actually, I think Ben Hartman is a Christian. I'm pretty sure he is. The others aren't even Christian. Good people, good people. But, um, you know, I believe our goal is to increase efficiency, not so we can make more money necessarily, lots of money, but it's so we can have time for ministry so we're not just tied to our farm. Um, so I wish I could point you to Adventist books. Um, but right now we're still learning from the heathens. Um, although I say that tongue in cheek, you know, we still, your best teacher is the Lord. You know, you go to the garden and you say, Lord, what do I do about this? Um, and he will show you. But when it comes to just basic methods, you know, these guys have proved this system works. Why not use it? I mean, I don't see anything in it that goes against any counsel we've got. Now, there may be some disagreement with that, but, <coughs> well, let me just say outright, you know, there are some who feel that you need to deep plow because Mrs. White talks about working the soil deeply, plow deeply. Um, <clears throat> my take is that plows were all they had back then and what she was talking about was working the soil deeply. I don't think that means you have to plow deeply. Um, you know, it's like um, sh girls should learn how to harness a horse. Well, what's the principle there, you know? So anyway, that's the way I view it. I know there are others who have a more literal view and we're in dialogue and I'm not going to disagree with them. But I, at this point, I don't see that that means literal plowing because everybody will tell you Modern science will tell you. Well, I don't want to go any further than that on that. Okay, use simple specialized tools. This is one of the great beauties of this. Connor Crickmore, as I said last session, you know, earning, I mean, probably the highest earning farm in the country per acre, you know, 
200 and some thousand dollars per acre. He doesn't even have a BCS. Well, he has one, but he doesn't use it. All he uses is hand tools. You know, gone are the days that you have to buy big expensive equipment. So we're going to look at just a few of them, some of the main ones. Now this is something that most small farmers don't use. It's called a soil blocker. I use it because I think it fits best with, um, <clears throat> with, yeah, no problem. You know, Mrs. White talks, she talks about how we should not have one root fiber um, misplaced. Do you remember that quote? Have you read that quote? You know, I feel like this, in fact, almost everybody will agree with you that this makes the healthiest transplants. On the tour we did, we, we visited all the top farm. I mean, you know, we, we've visited Elliot's farm. We visited uh, Connor Crickmore. We visited JM's farm. We visited Ben Hartman's farm. The best transplants that I saw were on Elliot's farm, and he's the one that uses soil blocks. So I... The reason a lot of farmers don't use this is because they say it's not fast enough. It's slower. You know, if you get a standard plug tray, you just, you know, work the soil in and you're ready to go. But I do feel like this is faster when it comes to transplanting because you're not trying to get those plugs out. Sometimes that's not as easy as it looks. This, man, you just, you can grab all 20 of them in one hand and I mean, you're just, they're, they're really hardy. You can just drop them, you know. Um, anyway, I don't want to try to convince you on this. I, this is just, in my opinion, makes the best transplant. And it's simple. That's what I love about it. You don't have to have this stack of plastic plug trays that you, you know. So, I mean, we do have to, you have to have a simple plastic tray that you put these in. So basically, it just works. You get your potting mix wetter than normal, and you just push this in. You know, you may have to, it's called charging it. You, you get it until you see the water seeping out of the top. That way you know it's full. And then you just pick it up, put it in your tray, pop them out, you're done. And it... it yeah, so, so the, the theory of this, well, two things. Number one, uh, block has a lot more volume than a cone. You know, most of the plug trays have much less soil. So, you know, it could be argued, well, soil costs money, potting soil costs money, so why not use as little as possible? But, you know... This comes back to where you have to bring spiritual principles in. Um, these, are, these are babies here. You know, what, what are we counseled to do with, with young children? You want to give them the best environment possible. So I think it's worth paying a little more for more soil volume for a stronger, healthier root ball. So, you know, there's no sides to the container. It's just soil blocks. What that does is it's air pruning. The, the roots go to the edge and it's like, oh, there's nothing there. I'll just stay right here. So you still have to, to, to worry about timing to some degree because if you leave them in there for too long, they'll just kind of get paralyzed and they'll take a week or so before they go out. But if you get them at the right time, and you put them in the ground, man, they just go to town. Whereas in a container, there's what you call root shock, you know, transplant shock. The plants are like, whoa, what's all this air, you know? I'm used to being in this little container. So that's the soil blocker. It comes in different sizes. You can get a home scale version that's just five, you know, for doing five at a time. This is called the inch and a half blocker. This is what we do all our lettuce in. 
um, things that usually are in the soil, I mean, in the greenhouse for three weeks or less. There's also a two-inch blocker that is a little bigger. Rather than 20 blocks, it makes 12. We have a, a, a six-inch blocker, which just makes six bigger blocks. We transplant all our corn now. It has made a huge difference. We have a perfect stand of corn. No skips or misses. No birds pulling out the seeds. Um, just put four seeds in a... Actually, I said six inch. I meant three inch. There's six three inch blocks. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to... I, I could spend a lot of time talking about this. Broad fork. So this, this is the way we do our deep plowing. This is a broad fork. This is the wide one, so it's, it's sized perfectly for a 30-inch bed. If your soil's a little harder, um, you'll want to go with a little narrower one because it's just a little hard to work with here. But this soil's really hard. Um, but basically, if your soil's good, you shouldn't have to do more than just push on it. And then you just pull it back a little bit until you see this, the ground cracking. And you're aerating it from the bottom up, kind of. You're just loosening it and aerating it. And then you just move it back six, six inches or so, do it again, and just work down the bed that way. This is not for initial soil working. If you're working up a new plot, you'll probably need either some big mechanical thing. I really don't recommend rototillers, and that's a whole different subject. But um, even just a good, strong, standard digging fork will usually work to loosen it the first time. Then when it's, once it's loose, as long as you're not walking on your beds, um, it, it's not going to compact again, at least not like it was. Yeah. And I, I should go back and just say, would these stick with proven methods that work? You know, when I, when I say that, I'm really talking about the 30-inch beds, now they do vary on the width of the pathways. You know, that's kind of a personal preference. and depends on, in, in greenhouses, most pathways are only a foot wide because that's prized land there. But outside, JM has an 18-inch pathway. Um, Elliot has a 12-inch pathway. You know, so, I mean, little variances, but all the same tool they use the same tools they use the same size bed um, okay bed preparation rake again so this kind of comes back to why the 30 inch um, wide bed this is actually an austrian hay rake but it just happens to fit perfectly on a 30 inch bed so for your final preparing it's wonderful for, you know, marking. I mean, you can kind of, as you rake, you know, okay, that's my 30-inch bed. Um, so it works well for that. But then it also doubles as a nifty little bed marker. This is just standard PEX pipe. Um, you know, different plantings have different spacings. We actually, we need to redo this, but one of our apprentices, after reading The Lean Farm, they helped us color code all this, and we've got a chart. And so all they have to do is look at the chart. Okay, lettuce is red, red on blue, you know, so that means red down this way and then blue for a cross. So you just go down your bed like this, and you mark your rows, and then sometimes the same spacing is across. You go back like this, and you've got a grid, and depending on the spacing, 
you're after, you know, you either plant on the on the corners or sometimes you plant in the middle depending on um, anyway just simple appropriate technology that can speed up you know rather than you being out there with a ruler trying to figure it out and string you know this is so much faster <clears throat> um, stirrup and collinear hose how are you going to keep the weeds down this here is one of my favorites. Elliot Coleman designed this. It's designed to so the blade is, is perfectly lined up with the soil. You're standing upright, like sweeping, sweeping the garden. You just do little movements like this around the plant. And you know, you, you cultivate before the weeds are really showing. That's the key. You know, if they're bigger than that, you've waited too long um, and you've made a lot of work for yourself. What do you call that? It's called a collinear hoe. These are all, Elliot is a tool consultant and designer with Johnny's. So these are all available from Johnny's Selected Seeds. Um, but, you know, hoeing used to be like this, you know. And that's hard on your back. And it's extremely inefficient because where's the hoe most of the time? It's in the air. Um, and, you know, all the energy of bringing it up, this is all the time in contact with the soil. And you're just, you know, it's fun. As he says, it's like waltzing in the garden. The, the collinear hoe is your partner. So it's simple tools like that. This is the stirrup hoe. This is, so this is used in your beds where the soil is loose. Um, this does not work on the pathways. I, I like to say I have never in 20 years, well, actually more than 20 years, because I had one of these before we started farming, never broken one. But our apprentices have broken quite a few. Um, the minute you go like this, you know, to get out that stubborn weed, you're going to break it because it's not designed for that. It's designed for just lightly stirring the soil. So if you do have those bigger weeds or in the pathway where you're compacting it by walking on it, this is the tool of choice. Now, you can buy similar things, sometimes called a hula hoe, but stirrup hoe is the name. You, you have any ideas why it would be called a stirrup hoe? Um, a replaceable blade. These are Swiss tools, actually, made in Switzerland. Um, so this one does require you to bend over. The collinear hoe, you're having your thumbs up like this. With this one, you've got your thumbs down to give it a little more power. But notice where the hoe is at all times. It's cutting on the push and the pull. It's 100% efficient as compared to, you know, this kind of thing. So simple tools, but, you know, we got heritage. What did we get, like six of these or something? It comes with a wider one and a narrower one. Um, so, you know, it'd be hard to hurt yourself too bad with this. I guess if you really tried, you could cut your toe or something. All these tools are from Johnny's. <clears throat> so obviously there's more tools we could go into. But even with just a few of these basic ones, you can get going. Now, you know, they have a wheel hoe, which is basically a stirrup hoe on steroids. And you can, you know, you can really cover some ground with that thing. So if, you know, if, if you have enough land and you're short on labor, 
that's worth the few hundred dollars that it costs. Um, but, you know, schools usually labor is not a shortage. Um, I'll just show you this, the, the Jang Cedar. Um, we don't have time to go into it too much, but this is a Korean cedar, and it's becoming the tool of choice for most market gardeners. It doesn't work well in here because we're not in soil, but um, it's, it's chain-driven. It's got little rollers inside here that have different size holes um, for different size seeds. It's very fast, very accurate. See, you've got these interchangeable rollers that it turns and it just drops the seed in. Alyssa sowed most of the carrots at, at Heritage. Never done it before in her life. And you should see those straight rows. Have you ever sowed carrots by hand? You know, the last thing you want to do on a market farm, on a large scale, oops, is um, be thinning. You don't ever want to have to thin things. Or you don't even want to get down on your hands and knees, ideally. As soon as you get on your hands and knees, I tell our apprentices, you've just lost any money you were going to make on that crop. So, home use, there's the, yeah, well, see, so that thing is going to cost you with, with three or four rollers, it's going to cost you, I think, roughly around $500. So it's not something you would do at home. There is an earthway cedar. You've probably all seen those. It's largely plastic. But it's better than seeding by hand. It's, it's a, roughly around $100 for home use, but it has its limitations. Okay, grow crops that thrive in the cold. This is also at Heritage. Does that look good? That's their salad bar from, uh, I guess that was the end of October. So this is the key. You're not trying to grow tomatoes in the summer. Um, uh, sorry, in the winter. I'm trying to rush here. Uh, carrots. Carrots are our number one seller in the winter because they get super sweet. The cold, in fact, this goes with all greens. The cold turns starches in the plant to sugars and it gets super sweet. So we grow carrots. My son, who does the winter growing, just harvested the last of them a week ago out of the field after we'd had, um, you know, those zero-degree temperatures. That's Fahrenheit. Some of you are from Europe. Um, spinach, man, spinach is a... Is, king in the winter. Spinach loves the cold. Lettuce and other salad greens. Now these will need um, a second layer of protection. So basically Elliot's system is this. Two layers. One is your plastic covering of your hoop house or whatever. Now if you've ever been in an unheated hoop house, as soon as the sun goes down, you discover something that the temperature inside and outside is literally a degree or two different. W within a very short time, you lose all that heat in the air. But what that plastic does is it does a very good job of heating the soil in the daytime if the sun is out. So what you're doing is, is warming that soil, and the plants love it. You know, it's like, oh, spring, and, and they're going to town. And then in the afternoon, before the sun goes down, you pull this floating row cover, 
Does everyone know what floating row cover is? I wonder if I have a picture. Hopefully I do. Anyway, it's just dryer sheet fabric <laughs> in big pieces. That's what I tell people um, without the scent, you know. Um, and, and you cover over the plants. And then what that does, it actually, if it's going to freeze in there, it's pretty neat because there's moisture in the soil and then the plants are um, transpiring. And so that moisture collects on that row cover and freezes and actually creates a little igloo there that traps that ground heat. So the plastic warms the soil. The second thing the plastic does is keep the wind off. The wind is one of the main killers in the winter. So it keeps it still in there. And then the row cover actually traps the heat. Simple, simple, but it works. And I, can, I know it works because we use it. Now, when it gets colder, you start doubling or tripling the row cover. Um, and I, I'm just trying to make sure I give Alyssa time because she's the case study here. So I'll be available if, if you want to talk more afterwards. We're going to have to keep rushing here. Kale and other cooking greens do great through the cold. Um, and then I think I mentioned before about growing plant transplants for spring. You know, um, this would require some heat in the spring, but if you can get tomatoes and peppers and all those kind of things going, it's a great way to earn some extra money in the spring. There are other crops that fit into a school calendar, strawberries. In our area, we plant them in September, harvest them in April, May, and till them under. Perfect for the school calendar. Um, here, that actually is not a floating row cover, but it kind of looks like a floating row cover. That's insect protection. So floating row covers, um, multiple layers are helpful. Unheated hoop houses, you don't need fancy fans and heaters and all of that. Fancy equipment. We use what's called 10X Centiflex. That's the trade name deer fencing. It's a black mesh. We just drive in eight foot T-posts, very simple fencing. You know, it's much cheaper than conventional fencing to keep deer out, but it's 100% effective if you use it properly. And then the beauty is you can move it easily. You know, permanent fence requires constant maintenance. Whereas with this, you just fence what you know the deer like and when they're when that crop is done you take the fence out okay we're almost through here plug into uh, Alyssa. you should be getting ready um, i mentioned the adventist agricultural association adventistag.org they have an annual conference and networking the website needs work but we're looking for volunteers um, my market gardening resource list is on that drive. It has all the books, all the internet resources. It's all on there. There's an incredible wealth of information out there. Read the books, watch the videos. There's some great podcasts, farmer to farmer podcasts. The information is there. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And then finally, claim the promises. When things are looking bad, no devising of men has ever improved on this plan. If the land is cultivated, it will, with the blessing of God, supply our necessities. Um, he who taught Adam and Eve and Eden how to tend the garden desires to instruct men today. If God be for us, who can be against us? He is 
He is in the garden waiting for you. Okay, Alyssa. Like I say, I'll be happy to answer questions. What do you need here? Just that. So, Heritage was kind enough to let us try to see if this would work in real life. And we were excited to have this opportunity to, to try out um, a new agriculture program because there was a group of us four staff that had an initial vision um, to have total student involvement and also um, a, a bigger, better, hopefully, um, agriculture program. And so we came up with the proposal for our program, and it was a lot of changes that it involved both for the staff and for the students. Um, it was a total schedule change for the students. Um, their vocational program hours changed. Uh, it was a total schedule change for staff who picked up new things, dropped different things to work around a new vocational um, program. And some of us picked up new hats. And of course, you can imagine all the changes that came with that. And some of the changes that we did um, initially is we wanted, <coughs> excuse me, a total student involvement. So um, beforehand, we had some students who were in the garden. They would um, take gardening class. They would um, be working out in the garden for a little bit, sometimes in the class, sometimes out, um, outside. But we saw the need for all students, all grades, all levels to be out in the garden. And so we came up with an idea of having each class in the garden for one hour once a week. And with the vocational program, we ended up choosing um, two days out of the week, Tuesday and Thursday. And for example, we have the seniors and the juniors on Tuesdays. And in the morning, they come into the garden for one hour. That's one less hour that they do from their regular vocation time. They come in for that one hour, and they're there in the garden working with us staff and learning and spending that time um, in agriculture. And then in the afternoon, um, for also one hour, the juniors come in, and they simply just have one less hour of their regular vocational time, and they're there in the garden with us. And um, besides that, we wanted to give an opportunity to those students who really had an interest in gardening to, you know, become masters of this. And so we have what we call master gardeners. And at the registration at the beginning of the school year, we set up a booth. And as students and parents came by, we talked about what we were hoping to incorporate. And we um, noted student interest. We asked them, you know, is this something you'd be interested in doing as your vocational time? That means all your work hours would be in, um, in the garden, your vocational hours. And so we noted the interests, and then um, afterwards we interviewed the students individually to see how interested they were in this, so that you know, we wouldn't get somebody who just thought they were and then ended up not really being interested in it, but to actually get down and see who wanted to spend time in the garden. And so we had one student from each grade level, and these students, then their vocational time is totally in the garden, working with us staff, um, learning as we learn, and we teach them. And then they, in turn, when their um, classmates come in the garden to spend time in the garden, they can work with us in teaching their classmates. So not only is there staff instruction, but, you know, the benefits of peer-to-peer -peer instruction. And so they're learning from their peers, and they can help each other, and they get the opportunity to teach what they've learned as well. And so um, that was... That was really interesting as we, we got that organized and together. And we began with two greenhouses, which as you can see in the beginning, were quite the jungle. Um, there was a little bit of everything growing in them. The greenhouse on the left was full of tomatoes. You practically could not walk through it. Um, the greenhouse on the right had squash and a variety of things just going in. It was kind of um, just growing and kind of left that way. And so we started out with the jungle and we went with it. We felt that the Lord was calling us to do this, and you know, when the Lord calls you to do something, you know that he will bless. Um, also, in the outside, we had outside fields. Um, part of this was in use already. We have all, um, a dedicated couple at our school who also helps with agriculture, and they were um, using part of the fields, but they... Dedicated couple, what does that mean? Someone... Yeah, they, they already do agriculture there. That's their sole job? Yes, that is their, their sole job. And so they allowed us to use part of their field to experiment with and learn from and use. And so we took the um, side of the field that unfortunately had um, a lot of erosion problems. What you see here is after we took a tractor, this is one instance where we did use um, some equipment. We took a tractor and we tilled through this because the field sloped down and all the water would run through this section of the field. So there was a lot of erosion and deep ruts and everything. And so we had to take the tractor through it um, to fix that. And if you notice, we um, put in a drainage ditch to redirect the water so that the water would no longer flow through the field and it would be um, more usable. And so that, that is one instance where we had to use equipment um, 
with what we were doing. But otherwise, we really haven't used any equipment at all, except for that one other time where we had just a serious, like, hard dirt kind of thing, and we used a tiller to break that up. But um, that was the beginning of our field outside. So we had the opportunity and to work inside the greenhouses and also outside the greenhouses both ways. But our soil definitely did need some help. Um, we took soil samples. Um, we had those sent off, and we ordered the appropriate soil amendments, added that in. Um, you can see um, there on the right-hand side the boxes and bags of the stuff that we were adding to the soil. Um, um, a lot of it was just spread directly on. Yeah, we used a chest-mounted spreader and just put it in, and I think to turn. Yeah, we just put it on the surface. And so we added that both outside in the field and inside in the greenhouse. And you can also see how we were beginning to measure. We did the 30-inch rows um, with a small walkway in between. I don't exactly remember the measurement for the walkway. Um, but we measured the rows. Um, we broad-forked it um, with some of the tools that he mentioned here, the broad fork and the rake. We went over it with that um, to break up the soil, to smooth it out, and... We had the students helping, with, helping us with um, some of that, so that was exciting. They got to see the process from the beginning and move along with us throughout it. And the beds are not raised. They are just um, in the ground like that. And we also used the soil block method to begin our seeding process. While we were still working on some of the rows and getting the soil ready, we began the seeding process. So we used a soil block maker to, uh, <coughs> yeah, early school year, September. We got the, the seeds um, planted in the soil blocks, and we did a variety of things. Um, we did a lot of greens, um, kale, collards, spinach. Um, we started lettuces. We started beets, Chinese cabbage, bok choy, um, scallions, bunching onions. We did those in, this, in the soil blocks. We also did some direct seeding outside. Them. We direct seeded most of our, most, all, all of our carrots. Um, we direct seeded all of our carrots. And we direct seeded also some kale outside, radishes, and some, also some turnips outside. Yes, we did use this, um, the, the little planter, Jang, the Jang planter, yes. And that's where I got to use it for the first time, and yeah, that was fun. <laughs> the students got to use it too. We got to use some of it inside the greenhouse as well, and so they were able to, to get their time with it as well. And um, the soil... The soil blocks uh, worked wonderfully. Um, the students had a lot of fun learning how to use the soil block maker and getting in there with their hands and stirring up the soil and getting it wet. And that's where we had the student involvement in the garden, also the master gardeners. They were in there learning how to use this. Um, I saw some of them. Um, it was, I wasn't you know, with the students all the time, but I was able to see some of them teaching their peers, and that was exciting. Once, one th once they learn it, they're able to teach it to someone else. So you know, they're, they're learning, but then you know, stuff is often remembered better through instruction. And so I saw them teaching others. And... Um, students would come in for the hour and learn how to direct seed and plant soil blocks with us. So that was exciting as well. And you can see some of our seeds beginning to grow here. Uh, we were also doing soil preparation in the greenhouse. As I said, we put amendments in the greenhouse. Uh, we broad forked, raked in the greenhouse, measured the rows also in the greenhouse. And um, inside we did the kale, the greens, the lettuces, the spinach. We did that inside the greenhouse. And... We just had a fun process going through that and learning how to do all that. The students, again, were in there helping us. Yeah, we used string to measure the rows, and we put stakes at the end, wrapped it around, kept going. And so we used that to measure off the 30-inch rows and the walkways. So yeah, a bit simple, simple stuff. We didn't get fancy stuff. Um, then once our seeds were, um, the transplants, we began, the seeds got big enough when we transplanted them um, inside and outside. And we had a fun little process that we had with that. We'd get somebody in the front with the trowel that would dig the hole, and then somebody behind would come with a little transplant, and then someone else behind that would come and cover it all over. And so we just worked down the row, and, and we had fun with our little process of going down with that. Um, you can also see in the right-hand picture our deer fencing um, that he was talking about. We used that for the outside um, to keep the deer out from the strawberries and the carrots and um, the other goodies that we planted out there. And that so far has worked. I don't, we haven't had any um, deer problem at all with that fencing. And we, you can see also here we planted some strawberries and we put down the plastic cover um, to keep the soil warm uh, for the strawberries. And we spent many hours transplanting these things. It was a fun process and a, a time to get to know each other better and the students better. And the students enjoy hanging out with each other in their class as they do this. And you can notice the growth and development and just an interesting story. Um, one of the senior students 
Um, he came to me one time and he, he told me, he's like, you know, when we first started all this, like clearing everything out and it was just the soil and we're measuring everything. They, the students have this word, they say sketch where something's like sketchy or kind of strange or weird or whatever. He's like, man, this was super sketch at first. And he's like, but now that I'm seeing it growing and like I'm seeing like the, the stuff come up, it's cool now. Like I'm seeing stuff happen. Like at first I wasn't sure about all this, but I'm seeing stuff happen. And he was super excited about that. And so we definitely were able to see our transplants rapidly develop from little tiny um, seedlings to rapidly maturing vegetables. And you can imagine the spiritual lessons that can be garnered from this process of transplanting and growing and, and seeing things develop. And God definitely blessed our efforts. We prayed over our greenhouses and over our field and our seeds for God's blessings. And we may, we may put in as much work as we want to, but ultimately it's God who, who blesses in the end. And so to him be all the glory. Um, the small hoop on the inside, that is I think a hoop for the yeah the floating row cover. You put it over on top of that. Yeah, simple wire hoops. Yeah, yeah, it's not part of the greenhouse. It's just a wire, a little wire hoop. We did use some of that on the inside for row cover, yes, and on the outside. In this picture, you can see some of our um, students out in the garden. We have the junior students on the left-hand side, the senior students on the right. And they had a fun time learning um, the pro different processes and spiritual lessons. I heard several of the students talking about the things that they learned. And one of them was telling me about the different processes of weeds and, you know, how that's like sin. And we need to get it when it's small. And, man, when it gets hard, it's so hard to pull up. But when you catch it when it's small, it's a lot easier to, to deal with. And... Um, here they were harvesting greens for the cafeteria. One of our goals with this agricultural program was to provide for the cafeteria needs, the lettuce, um, some of the salad um, goods. And we were able to do that. We had the lettuces, the spinaches, um, we had kohlrabi, onions, um, different things that we were able to add to the salad at bar, and we were able to do that. And so they are here doing that as well, getting the greens. You can see the spinach there too, getting it ready for um, the cafeteria. And that was some of the fruits of our labors. We have the fully developed Swiss chard there, the kale, the collards, uh, radishes, turnips. Uh, the radishes and the turnips were from the outside field and, of course, inside the greenhouse. Um, here's a picture of the outside field. It really took off. It looked beautiful. Um, all the radishes and turnips there. When did you plant? Um, this was probably planted September. September? Earlier. August, yeah, okay, the carrots were a little bit earlier. But of course, um, you have to be real, not everything's a walk in the park. We did face our own struggles. <laughs> and um, as I was saying, that field that we had problems with erosion, um, we put the drainage ditch in, but we noticed after a couple of good hard rains that we needed some further water direction. And so you can see um, we dug a small um, trench down the side because it was still sort of trying to flow through the rows so we were able to redirect the water through that way and um, we also had some bugs for wild grasshoppers but that disappeared with the cooler weather once it got cooler the grasshoppers decided to head out or died or one or the other something like that <laughs> but another problem that we um, eventually faced was the weather itself and when it got really cold we had a really cold spell for a while at least at heritage it got to negative five and um, it froze our lettuce and most of our outside crops. That was due to some mis misunderstandings on our own and, of course, a learning curve. This is our first year doing this, and so we're all learning together in this process. Um, but we know what not to do next year, <laughs> and hopefully as we continue, we get better and better. But the fun thing is, is we had our students with us, and so they're learning as we go along. You know, they see the things that happen, and they learn right along with it. And when they have their own gardens, they know what not to do, and they, they can learn as well. Problem solving, the reality is a garden. Um, you have things you have to work through. But the good thing is also that not all the crops were lost. We still have the greens, the onions, the beets. Um, a lot of the things inside the greenhouse were fine. Um, we did lose the, the lettuce inside the greenhouse, but we did have some things that recovered. So we're excited that, that um, we still do have things. And we have started seeding again, so we're looking forward to more in the future as well. But you notice all the rain? We were able to have 
fun even with the rain <laughs> and the mud. <laughs> we got the students out there for a little while one evening um, to have a, a big mud fight. And it was kind of funny. Um, you hear some, at least I've heard some of the girls complaining about, oh, the dirt, this and the dirt, that. I'm like, ah, oh, you were out here in the mud. <laughs> you can deal with the dirt and, and so on. But we make the most of what we have. Uh, we were also um, able to use some accessories and additions in our greenhouses. Um, the school had a, um, a sink that they weren't using. So we were able to utilize that in the greenhouse um, with the hose as a washing station so that we could clean all the produce before it went up to the kitchen. Um, because, you know, sometimes when the kids find a worm or a, an aphid in the greens, it's done for a while. Like, oh, I'm not going to eat this. But when it's clean beforehand and you're able to get that all processed ahead of time, it's a lot easier not only for the kitchen, you're not laying an extra burden on them, um, but also the food is cleaner and looks nicer and more able to be utilized. Um, we were able to put in a pipe and because um, we were using regular water, the school water, for watering purposes, and we had a well, but we were able to get the pipe connected with the well so we were using well water so that we weren't draining on any of the school water or the drinking water, and so we were able to use well water to um, water our greenhouses with. And our fancy little tables over here, <laughs> we didn't have a budget for um, growing tables, so we got creative and we used pallets and logs um, as a temporary solution to put our starts on, and that's working for us currently. <laughs> So where you don't have it, just get creative, and it still works. <laughs> and this was exciting. Um, on our proposal for the program, we had um, about a couple years from now that we were going to be able to sell produce and get it out into the community. But the Lord tremendously blessed, and we were able to begin selling produce ahead of schedule. And we were able to build a small customer base through local churches. Um, there's a local Adventist elementary school um, with several people who are very supportive. So we were able to build a small customer base through that. Also some local neighbors. And though we're starting small, um, the Lord has been blessing. We have been able to provide some income for the school already. And so that's exciting that we're ahead of schedule on that. Um, you can see on the left-hand side, the school has a, an annual event, which they call International Supper. And a lot of people from the community come, and we set up a booth there, and we're able to spread the word and also make um, a little money that evening. We also um, were able to go into the community on a different event and hand out some flyers about our produce and reach out to the community that way. And one thing with selling our produce that we are really excited about is we see it as an outreach opportunity um, for the kids. Um, because, you know, as you're reaching out to the community and to people around you, it's an opportunity for the students to be able to use it as um, another outreach method. And so we're super excited about that. So that's where we're at. That's some of the things we faced, some of our experiences. We had a lot of fun along the way. I'm excited about it continuing. And the kids so far have really enjoyed it, to my knowledge. And I know that they learned a lot. I've had several kids come to me and just, I, you know, sometimes you wonder, like, are they actually getting anything out of it? And one kid, he came up to me and talked to me for like 45 minutes about all the spiritual lessons he learned from the garden. I was like, praise the Lord. Like, it, 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 it's real. So thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.